welcome to the Cinema Adventure Podcast. We're a movie podcast where every Monday we talk about a new movie or an old movie or a movie with a guest. This week we're talking about Dead Poet Society and we're joined by Molly Quentin. I'm Aiden Walker. And I'm Blake Peterson. Okay, I'm also on an all-female sports podcast called Play Like a Girl where we talk about um, one of the sports columns. It's called In My Defense and then we also talk about various hot-button sports topics. Dang. And you also hold the title of news editor at The Daily. Is this correct? That's true. I do hold that title. What do you do as the news editor? I edit the news. I decide the news. No, but I basically curate all the content for the news section, so I manage a staff of reporters, and I find and pitch out content, and I edit content, and I work with the other editors, like Aiden. Super cool. Super legendary. Yeah. Except way more work than me. <laughs> yeah, honestly. And Aiden's yeah. never here, so. <laughs> yeah, that's Let's true. Let's just drag Aiden for an hour. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, so, Molly. Here's the real oh. question. <laughs> <laughs> Molly, why did you choose this movie? We always let our guests choose the movie, so why'd you pick Dead Poet Society? It's just, it's been one of my favorite movies for as long as I can remember. My mom made us watch it. We were pretty young, probably a little young considering some of the content in the movie, but it's one of her favorites. It's one of my dad's favorites. I've just been watching it for years. This sounds like a similar story to me. What? Like in your case? No, to you. Oh, I was going to say, if you also have this story in common, we all just have the same story. No. Yeah, similar to me too. My, I don't know if my dad loves it as much, but my mom loves it. And when we were, when I was in like middle school, elementary school, we always did like family movie nights. And I felt kind of bad because my dad usually picked what we watched, and my mom always would, like, talk about how we had to watch Dead Poet Society. And it almost, like, became a running joke for a while because, like, we always would, like, pick my dad's choice, which is really sad. But we'd always keep hearing Dead Poet Society, so then after a while we were like, we're just never going to watch it. <laughs> so, but the moment we finally watched it, I almost didn't enjoy it for an hour because I was so determined to not like it because my mom had bugged us for so long to watch it. But I, at the time, I liked it a lot, so it was interesting revisiting it again. What did you think of it, Aiden, as a first-time viewer? I was a first-time viewer, that's true. <laughs> I watched that's it for true. the first time last night. I liked it. I think there's some things about it that are kind of problematic, but I think, on the whole, it's a pretty inspiring, like, happy, feel-good movie. Yeah, no, same yeah. thing. I feel like there's a lot of things that, like, I like a lot about it. A lot of things I don't like that I also feel like I could like I could argue with myself. Like things I don't like, I could have like a rebuttal. But yeah, like definitely mixed. Overall, a good take home message for sure. I want to hear what you guys don't like. <laughs> well, do we want to go into that now? <laughs> do we, or I don't know. Do you want to first, Molly? Just give like a brief plot summary you're to gonna, people you're who making Molly God. Do everything. Well, I feel like you know it's like polite to let the guest give their take on the movie, what it's about. Okay, Dead po- so it's set in a New England prep school in the 60s-ish, is my best guess. It's like 19, um, I think it's 1959. Okay. Oh, is it? So almost the 60s, very close. <laughs> very close. And it follows, there's a new English teacher at the school, and it follows the story of a couple of his students in the class, and things happen. So the teacher that you're talking about is played by Robin Williams in one of his yeah, I feel like Robin Williams has like a set of very iconic performances, and this is definitely one of them. He plays, yeah, this English teacher who has a very unconventional teaching style that ends up inspiring a lot of his students to ultimately seize the day, as the movie <laughs> frequently mentions, it's carpe diem, but that means seize the day. And so he kind of teaches, teaches or at least inspires his students to challenge themselves, push themselves, go against the grain, 
and in general becomes, you know, one of their favorite teachers, makes a big impression on them. There's not a lot of real work going on, it seems, in his class. It just seems like they kind of go outside and run around and They're then also... They're learning how to be free thinkers, Aiden. Right. <laughs> she got you. Yeah. He, his classes seemed very fun. A lot of the movie, I was a little bit bummed out because I felt like I, I don't... I've had a lot of teachers I've liked, but there's never been one... I feel like they're all like low-key obsessed with him and they just love him so much. And I feel like I've never had that necessarily. The thing I wish that I could have had in a class that, that that made it seem like the most fun to me was when he just goes kind of down the middle of the row of desks and he crouches down and he says, huddle around everybody. And everybody just like kind of scrambles up and makes this little circle huddle in the middle of the classroom. Just kind of changing up the way that everybody's sitting and move around a little bit is kind of yeah, fun. Yeah, seriously. Even if you were announcing, like, you have four chapters of homework to read. It's way more exciting tomorrow. if you're in a huddle. It's way more exciting. Huddle anytime you're moving around, whatever. Teachers should take note. Maybe not, like, ripping out pages of books like he does, although that does make a really that... good point. He's trying to make them think for themselves and not be bound to the page, but, you know. <laughs> what, when you watched it, Molly, for the first time, for you, what was, what were your favorite things about the movie? What makes it one of your favorite movies? Um, well, we originally watched it because it's one of my dad's favorite movies, and he's a high school teacher, and he always told the story of, like, at the end of the movie, there's this big scene where they stand on top of their desks, and they say, oh, Captain, my Captain, quoting this Walt Whitman poem. And when he left his first, like, back in the 90s, when he left his first teaching job, his students did it for them. I heard him talk about this for, like, years. I was like, okay, Dad, like, that's not that great. <laughs> so when I first watched it, I was thinking about, like, him as that teacher. So, like, um, that made it really special. And he really taught my class in high school, too. Oh, amazing. Was that a fun experience, having your dad as a teacher? I loved it. It was oh. really great. My dad and I are close, so it was fine. That's really fun. I never had that, because my parents are both teachers, and my sister has had them both, and I somehow avoided both of them, so I never had them. My sister had my dad for, like, two years in a row. Ooh, that's so. a lot. And it was in elementary school, which doesn't seem horrible, but... I can see Robin Williams is so... It's kind of like this really exciting kind of dad figure, you know, in this movie to all these all these boys. Yeah, it really is. And you can see why, because, I mean, you meet at least... What's the character's name? Who has the very overbearing father? I don't know any of the Neil. Neil. In that case, like, he doesn't have a very positive father figure, so you kind of get the sense that a lot of them don't have positive father figures as well, so... You can definitely see why he makes such a big impression on them, because he does, whereas a lot of their fathers are telling them what they should be doing with their lives, the Robert Williams character wants to motivate them to think for themselves. So that is definitely very touching to see them. Because a lot of them, too, are so excited having this entirely new, they've never really done this kind of thing before, you know, like have their own artistic ideas and stuff. So it's fun seeing them come into their own. I wonder, too, <laughs> if, if this is for the the school people, what am I trying to say? School people, the, I don't want to say children because they're not children. Students. This, thank you, wow. <laughs> oh, uh, for word. the students, hard word. For the students, <laughs> it must be an unusual situation unless they went to boarding school for middle school as well. It seems like this might be the first time that they're on their own away from their parents. I'm not sure. They don't really go into that in the film, but I can see how their relationship with Mr. Keating, the Robin Williams character, would be kind of impacted by that if they, if they didn't have the, any kind of... I yeah, think the school is... Like, middle school through high school. Yeah. Because they show some pretty young kids getting dropped off in the beginning. No, seriously. Which I don't... I can't picture that. That seems so... so, Such a big bummer to me. But they seem to have a pretty good time being in a boarding school. I was a little, like, worried at first seeing them in that very formal inaugural meeting of all the students. I was very nervous seeing all these very... They're not aristocratic, but just these very intellectual teachers who seem a little bit overbearing presiding over it. I was like, are these kids going to be able to be kids? But they do end up 
you know, for the most part, just maybe not in the classroom. But although it is like immediately, you know, because you do see all these overbearing teachers and then you see Robin Williams and you kind of take his star power into consideration in his persona. And you're like, okay, so he's definitely going to be like the standout teacher amongst all these men. The kids have no chance. The actors who are children in this movie are young adults, at least. They have no chance in any scene that they're in with Robin Williams because he steals everything. And it's like, these are just these brand new, brand new actors. I mean, Ethan Hawke, I... I didn't even realize it was Ethan Hawke for um, a while. I read it at the credits. I was like, oh, I guess he's in this movie, huh? And I was like, where is he? Which one is he? It took me so long to figure it out. He's so precious in this movie. He like, looks like he's going to cry the entire movie, and I just wanted to like pinch his cheek or something. And I also like, too, like, they're so young, you can like still see some of their acne, and that's weirdly, like, I almost enjoy that because so many high school movies, or not, this isn't necessarily a high school movie, but so many movies that have these young characters are very... They're not really age appropriate where you feel like everyone here actually is their age. So yeah. that's really nice to see that representation. Yeah, I feel like you could really feel their awkwardness being palpable yeah. on the screen. Like they felt like high schoolers. Oh, totally. So awkward. I appreciate <laughs> it. You need it. It is nice because I mean like Josh Charles and Ethan Hawke like did go on to become very famous actors. So it is fun to see them in kind of their first roles. It's one of the things I like about it so much. Like if the, I feel like with the students, it feels very authentic because they are that age and like the chemistry between them is really great. Yeah. You feel like you are, like I kind of, when I watch it, I feel like I'm back in high school and you can kind of feel all the things they're feeling. No, yeah, the chemistry is really good between the cast. I think I read that Peter Weir, the director, he had like them all room together beforehand to kind of develop this mm-hmm. rapport, which was a very smart move because you do want to have this believable chemistry between this group of dudes. <laughs> I want to know what you guys don't like about it. Okay. Are you, who wants, um, you want me to go first? Um, sure. Okay. <laughs> Set the stage. Um, <laughs> it's kind of hard to put a, put a finger on specifically what I don't like about it. I think that the suicide at the end is very intense when Neil Perry's character shoots himself with his father's gun. That whole sequence is really intense and there isn't a lot of foreshadowing for the event, I guess. I mean, it is very sad and it did hit me pretty hard when I was watching it and it, it made me feel more, I don't want to say like dirty, but it made me feel kind of skeeved out more than it made me like feel sad. I don't know. I almost feel like the same kind of intensity of the, the relationship between he and his father could have been resolved with him running away and trying to like figure out what he wanted to do on his own. It seemed kind of antithetical to the message that Mr. Keating was teaching them, which is like, seize the day, love life, do all this stuff be your own person, make your own choices. And then instead of running away and being his own person and making his own choices, he just ends it, which is tragic. And it, I remember because I hadn't seen the movie and I didn't know anything about it going in. The, the two of you had both told me, it's a really sad, it's really sad. And I was like, this is a really exciting movie. This is not sad at all. When's this sad twist gonna, oh, here's the sad twist. Okay, oh, wow. uh, we found it. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure entirely what to say about it. It just kind of bummed me out. It's supposed to, but I think it could have been, I think that could have been tackled it in a different way. It was a little way. abrupt. It's pretty abrupt. It's abrupt, and it also goes into a lot of detail, like, of the suicide. I feel like they didn't have to. It feels like very slow motion and very, well, like, this is what he did, and I don't know. This movie's also PG. I know, it's, like, it's a little much. What? It's PG. Was that, like, during the period, though, where it would, like... It came out in 1989, so yeah. I think... Was PG-13 a thing yet? I think it was, but... Because, like, there are, like, so many movies my parents will let me watch from, like, the 80s, and it would be PG, but there'd be, like, boobs or something in it. Yeah. And, like, you'd be like, wait a minute, but then it's, like, PG. This PGs. would not fly as PG today. I know. And I, watched, and I also watched it pretty young, too, the first time. Really? I was probably, like, nine? <laughs> Which, if well, it's that's a, pretty young. It's pretty young, yeah. That's a lot. You know, I feel like the, maybe the worst I watched when I was nine is, like, 
my parents had me watch like 16 candles or something but there's just like an f word so yeah that's a lot to take as a nine-year-old yeah on the topic of what we don't like let me think so one thing i didn't like is kerwood smith i mean i obviously hate his character he is this very he's really just evil in general he's the father of neil and he is like the epitome of the father who's like you have to be a lawyer and this is what your life's gonna be and he's very domineering but I think what bothers me about his character is he is so evil and you hate him so much. But there's not really a lot more to him besides being this detestable character. I know for the most part you're supposed to hate him, but I don't feel like I know why he's doing this, exactly why he is so overly domineering. That was an issue. Yeah, I think we were talking about too, like the whole suicide thing, it goes against what the movie's preaching. Like I think the movie honestly would be fine if it just stayed with the inspirational thing and didn't have this really upsetting twist. I think it would be fine if it just... If the characters did just come into their own, like you expected to do. I don't know if it really needs that. I feel like that was kind of a weird emotional manipulation. I think for me, that that's kind of where the movie lost a lot of what made me like it. It's kind of after that. I feel like it just is like a series of scenes that I didn't really believe necessarily. Like after that, you get the redheaded character who's been part of the group the entire time suddenly had this twist where he hates Robin Williams' character and like thinks he sucks and like wants to get him fired, which... Then I can argue with myself, like, maybe that just shows that not everyone's born to be a leader. And then, even, like, the finale with the standing on the desk, I feel like, to me, it felt less like this inspiring moment. It felt to me more like the director saying, like, how can we make the audience be really, really moved? I think I'm also just really cynical, so maybe that was why it didn't fly so much with me. I don't know, just, like, the the whole series of ending things, it just felt like, to me, a bunch of ways to manipulate me into being touched or moved. And I don't love that, but... That's just me. I'm super cheesy, so I fell for it. But <laughs> I feel like because I watched it so young, all of this stuff kind of went right over my head, like all the problems you're seeing now. And since I've, it's, I've loved it for so many years, yeah, I haven't really thought true. that critically about it. No, it is definitely interesting watching it now versus when I was younger. Because I think when I was younger, I did end up, even though I like purposely tried to not like it for like an hour, I did end up liking it a lot and I was moved. So I don't know, maybe I've just seen a lot more movies since then. So I, I don't know. But yeah, also too, I feel like the um, directing style is very stiff and this, there's this weird elegance to it that I feel like it's like a weird du- juxtaposition between that and this idea of breaking outside of the box. Like it feels very stiff to me when everything else is supposed to be like, break the mold. That felt like a weird thing, which then could also be argued. That's the point. They're living in this very stiff world. So like this is just natural that it feels like that. I think I'd side with that interpretation, the second one. Yeah, Yeah, everything is very well composed, though. It is like a very visually beautiful movie. And there's a lot of fog and it's like winter for a lot of it. And it looks very beautiful. So that's nice. I think think the one thing that I didn't really track very much while I was watching, but afterwards I was kind of reading a little bit more about the movie and kind of getting an idea of the setting and I was reading this article in The Atlantic where it was this this English, not English professor, but somebody who had studied English in college and had like some degree was writing this piece just tearing the movie apart. And I thought they were pretty, I thought they were pretty unfair in a lot of ways. But there was one point that they made that I thought was pretty interesting. And I think it could be argued that it's a product of the time period that the movie is set in. It's supposed to be demonstrating this. But at the same time, you wonder, is that what it is? The secret meeting spot of the Dead Poets Society is called the Old Indian Cave. And then there's that whole scene where all the boys are dancing and pounding on a drum and they're yelling out the lyrics to a poem by Vacha Lindsay called The Congo. And the lines in the poem are, When I saw the Congo creeping through the black, cutting through the jungle with a golden track. And they just keep yelling that over and over again. And it's all these 
white men kind of dancing and singing in this kind of Native American or African style. Yeah. A little problematic. But then again, it's 1959. Yeah, that was like my for rationale. I, yeah. yeah. I just read it as it was 1959. Right. Yeah. This you is what people to. did. And yeah. it was also conservative New England in 1959. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I thought that too. Like, I was like, this is problematic. But I was like, no, this would probably happen. So I'm just going to Yeah, I had that thought. I was I'll like, this is fly. not great. But at the same time, I could see this happening. Yeah. yeah. You know that entire cave was like made of like latex and plastic. Like it was all totally fake, which is pretty lit. They did that. <laughs> I believed it. <laughs> the sets of the this cave movie design are great. was the cave design was stunning, beautiful. <laughs> There's some really great set design in this film, especially the play that happens mm-hmm. at the end yes. uh, when they're doing Midsummer Night's Dream is spectacular. That all looks so good. I yeah. love all the costumes that everybody's wearing in that scene. The movie in general does have this very, like, 1950s Hollywood aesthetic. I mean, I guess a lot of 1950s Hollywood was, like, filmed in this, like, the cinemascope photography process, which is a lot more artificial looking. But it does have everything is very super well composed and very graceful in the way it moves. So I did like how it did match that kind of style with the time period. I thought it felt really good. At least it looked really good, even though if I didn't, like, necessarily agree tonally how it went. It's a really nice, warm color palette in this film. Definitely. It's nice, too, because it contrasts at the end after Neil dies. There's that contrast between, oh, we're inside and everything's warm and it's winter, but you're in with your cup of cocoa and your big cozy couch, to then everybody's outside and everything's white and you're in the snow. And it's yeah. like, this is what's happened. It's bad. No, yeah, and really good contrast It's well there. done. You know what time it is. Uh, what? It's time for Fun Facts with Blake. Oh, What? In the screenplay, it's written that Robin Williams' character is dying of cancer, and there's actually supposed to be a scene of his students discovering that and, like, realizing that that's the reason why he's always just very, like, carpe diem, everyone. Um, mm-hmm. But apparently Peter Weir thought that it was... He thought that audiences would just, like, figure that out on their own, which is it's not true, because I didn't think that at all. But honestly, I kind of would have liked that, because I feel like... This is, like, another one of my complaints, which is, I guess, deviates from fun facts with Blake. But I feel like... I didn't really know Robin Williams' character at all. Like, I felt like he was just kind of a representation of... He was just, like, kind of a device used for these students to find themselves, where I feel like I knew nothing about his character at all. He doesn't have a lot of screen time. No, he just kind of does a lot of these fun monologues and stuff, but you don't necessarily... Yeah, you don't know anything about his personal life. Yeah. There's one scene where he's, like stroking a picture of a woman and then... <laughs> was he stroking the picture? <laughs> <laughs> stroking the wrong word. That makes it seem creepier than it was, but there's a picture of him with a woman on his desk and he was, like, looking at it fondly. Oh. So I assume that... I think there was, like, a wife or... There you go. Something. That's all I need She was know. in Europe, I think, is what he said. Oh, is she? I don't, she I don't know. I've seen this movie, like, 15 times. Yeah, he say. says something about her being away, abroad. I think he says that she's oh. in Europe and then mm. he's talking to Neil and Neil's like, oh, that must be hard. And he's like, yeah, it's hard. How old is he supposed to be in this? Because I feel like in my mind, Robin Williams is just like 50, no matter what decade it is. I don't know why. Probably like mid-40s. Mid-40s, okay. I guess, yeah. I was like, oh, Ethan Hawke said that the yop scene where he like is nervous to read the poem, that was one of the first times he really felt the true power of acting and how you could lose yourself in a scene. So he credits Robin Williams with being someone who really made him realize how passionate he was for acting. Because this was one of his pretty early roles, so that's, that's pretty sweet. touching. Especially because Ethan Hawke is very passionate about acting. Like, you read a lot of his interviews, so it's fun to know this is kind of one of those points that really meant a lot to him. Um, Another reason 
Williams took the role was because he really wished that he had a teacher like John Cadian growing up. And so, like, that for him was really all he needed was to just be able to play this character that he always wished he had. River Phoenix originally wanted to play Neil, which is, like, a huge bummer because, like, River Phoenix is amazing. Love that actor, so. Lara Flynn Boyle from Twin Peaks had a part in the movie, but she was actually cut, and she didn't know she was cut until, like, the day the movie premiered. And they told her... She was, like, planning on going to the premiere, and then, like, the day of, they're like, actually, we cut you out, so please don't come to the premiere. That would be really awkward. So that's a bummer. She told that to David Letterman in 1991. Fun fact. That's it. Those are all the fun facts I have. Thank you, Blake. Not a great assortment. I'm so sorry. I thought they were great. <laughs> I, I hope. Them. Yeah, I, was I was so much. I hope they were, like, short. Sometimes I feel like my fun facts just go on forever. I feel like I'm just cranking them out. I'm like Stephen King, just, like releasing all these these words that are a little bit hard to grasp. <laughs> these works, the words that are inside of you. The, just all these words, it's like, Stephen, what does this mean? I'm like that. I liked your Ethan Hawke fun fact, though, because he's my favorite character in the movie. I don't find Neil's character that compelling. Especially since he is the one who commits suicide at the end, I didn't feel like that was really tied in with his character in the no. rest of the movie. I, in some ways it makes sense, because his dad is so overbearing, but... He's developed as the hero of the movie, so it just doesn't feel right. Like, you could, I mean, you could see that, like, it could plausibly happen, but just the way the movie is, like, it just doesn't really make sense. I also felt like, too, the movie has an issue with character development. Like, I kind of mentioned that John Keating's not super well developed. I also felt like even, like, the Dead Poet Society in general, you get to know Ethan Hawke pretty well, and the Neil character, and then, I don't know anyone's name, the character who publishes the thing in the newspaper and gets in trouble. Oh, yes. What's his name? That's Charlie Dalton. Yep. Look at that IMDb. It's great. Him. Oh, and then the... the one who dates, who... Yeah, Josh Charles. The townie. That's yeah. Knox Overstreet. There we go. That's quite a name. He sounds like a superhero or something. It's because he's a rich kid. I mean, classic. I feel like they're all well-developed, but, like, the other members, like, I... I have no idea. They're yeah. just like kids standing around in glasses and 50s haircuts, and I'm like, I don't know how you feel about I like any the, of this. I like the boy who makes the radio. I like him. Which one is he? I He's can't good. even remember. He's the uh, unibrow. Okay. Uh, uh, he has a really hard to pronounce <laughs> name, so I'm not going to try. Does it rhyme with Knox Overstreet? No. Or is it different? <laughs> I didn't realize that was his name. I was not paying attention to his name. Wow. That's... That's something. I don't know their names. I'm gonna I don't try. Either. I don't know anyone's names. name at all. Even like the actor who plays Neil, I know it's three names, but I keep wanting to say like Neil Patrick Harris, and it's like Robert. <laughs> it's Robert Sean, Sean Leonard. Leonard. Wow. wow. Just dabbed there, everyone. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Blake. Yeah. I think I can agree with you on your point about just character development. I think it would have been fun to see the members of the Dead Poets Society interact with each other and maybe have more conflict with each other, just because it seemed like they all were introduced, they all joined into the society, and then at the same time, they all got their own little side quest that happened. So Knox is like, oh, there's this girl I saw who goes to the public high school who's nearby, and like, I am super in love with her now, and that's my character arc now. There's one very problem, one major problem I have in the movie is mm. the scene when he's at the party, and mm. she's passed out in his yeah, lap. Yeah, me too. I was yes. like, she's like, and they about make to do something, and I'm like, uh. That's a problem in a lot of movies, where they where a guy's obsessed with a girl and they make it seem really quirky and charming and they're like, like oh, look at him. But he, follows, he follows her all over town, goes to yeah. her boyfriend's party, she's passed down his lap, he tries to kiss her. It's so yeah, weird. it's messed up. And then he gets punched and it se- like by her boyfriend. And, and you're it seems to be like, like, drats, like, yeah, I feel bad for you. And I was like, oh, you messed up, man. Like, I know, it's like she's, she's taking choices. leave her alone. If yeah. she wants to date you, she'll break up with her boyfriend and If she you. wants to date Which you, she, she wouldn't have said no 50 times. Also, like, the how quickly she decides to date him is like, 
it's wild. It's really just kind of immediate. How fast she's like, okay, that's it. It's over. New relationship. Love it. I enjoy the soundtrack. Just some of the funky 80s synths that they throw in just love a good, all over the place. I love a good 80s synth. I love a little good orchestral swell. They do that yeah, a lot. There were really, a lot of bagpipes. Yeah, really. Oh, yeah, there were some bagpipes. really sent home the New England. They reminded me of, like, the parent trap in the way that, like, there's just always music to let you know, like, Blake, it's time for you to start feeling really moved right now. So please listen to the violin and what it's telling you. Are you and, hating on the parent trap right now? <gasps> no. <laughs> they just do that in the parent trap a lot. <laughs> like, have you noticed, like, literally, I feel like that movie there is, like, constantly music playing, and it's like, it's time to feel this, everybody. But and I just... don't you feel happy? I do feel happy. That's a very... I mean, like, unless you start thinking about, like, Lindsay Lohan's career trajectory, and then maybe you might not feel so happy as you're watching it, but, you know. <laughs> you just can't overthink it. You can't overthink it. You just have to live in the moment of 1998, and it'll do wonders for you. I thought that there was really two Lindsay Lohans for a very long time. I did. Time. I think we all did. <laughs> I think there still is. We don't know for sure. My dad told me one time that they killed off the other twin. Ooh. I, I believed him. That's true. I'd believe it. I honestly would still believe it. He was like, they euthanized the other twin. I was like, oh my God. I definitely, I would buy it because I like, I bought into even like that. They put her down? Like, <laughs> did you? You said they, in the movie, they have the same birthday as me. So I would watch it every Ooh. year on my birthday. So I'm like, it's just, I've watched it since I was a kid. And that you told me sense. that, and I was like... I'd buy it. I even, like, I tried to buy... Like, do you remember the conspiracy recently with, like, that Avril Lavigne was, like, killed and replaced by a Brazilian doppelganger? And so the Avril Lavigne we see no. today Blake, is not real. who are you? I missed um, that. But even then, like, not believable, but I really want to believe it because it's so juicy. There's, like, that <gasps> fake Melania. There's just so many conspiracies that are so wild that I just choose to pretend are real, so... Let's pretend Lindsay Lohan, there being two of them, maybe one killed off. Let's believe it. Euthanized, yeah. Poor Lindsay. Where is she now? Wow. I don't she know. took a turn. This, t- this, this a we are great. off the rails. Let's just, for the next 10 minutes, just talk about Lindsay Lohan. I mean, only. sure. Um, <laughs> what do you got to say, Blake? No, Get kidding. it out. She's, ha- it's, she's interesting right now. She just defended she... Harvey Weinstein. She has an accent now. I don't an know what's going an on. An accent? Yeah. What yeah, does that mean? She's adopted an accent. I'm not sure exactly what oh. it is. The um, Harvey Weinstein thing was really problematic. Yeah, that though. was weird. She's like, my, my heart goes to Harvey. I feel very bad for him. And I'm like... She's like vaguely Eastern European? Yeah. I don't know okay. what it is. But she's really adopted a new persona, and I don't know if I can support it, but she's wow. living her life. So mm. it's fine. Anyway, back to Dead Poet Society. Any other any, thoughts? <laughs> any final thoughts that anyone's having about the movie? You guys kind of ruined this movie for me a little bit. Oh, no. Did we? Oh, no. Poked a lot of holes in it. Just do like a, should we do like a Men in Black? Like we do the, yeah, the camera the thing, ra- erases your memory. Yeah, this podcast never happened. Yeah, that or like the eternal sunshine at the spotless mind. We'll do our final thoughts. I think mine will bring us back. Okay. Okay, what bring are you going to say, Aiden? Tell us. Please. Dead Poet Society. On the whole, enjoy. I enjoyed. I would say, <laughs> I would say, it's going to be a little while before I watch this again. I would probably watch it again. For the vibe. The vibe. Okay. This yeah. film has a great vibe. The vibe TM. I'll come back to my vibe when it's time for recommendations. But yes. Oh. Great vibe. You're coming Go back ahead. To That's the my vibe. final thought. Damn. There's a lot in this movie that I do like. I like its take-home message. I think we should all seize the day. You know, definitely going to keep living by that. I think there are a lot of problematic things. I don't like the ending. I think it's emotionally manipulative. But <laughs> other than that... Other a... than the ending. <laughs> I think... You know, it is generally, it's enjoyable, even though the characters, a lot of them are thinly developed. It is just an enjoyable movie, visually, 
emotionally. There's a lot to lap up. So definitely recommend. I think this is a movie families should watch together. Maybe not when children are like nine years old, maybe a little bit older. This is something you should watch if you're a fan of Robin Williams, the actors involved, whoever. What's your final argument? Argument. <laughs> argument? Oh, final thought. Why did I say argument? That's not even like really. Because you can argue more. It's um, kind of a synonym, not really, but. <laughs> you guys definitely poked a lot of, a lot of holes in this movie for me, but I'm, <laughs> I still love it. it. Reminds me of my dad. I'll always, it'll always have a place in my heart. But yeah, I definitely the ending is definitely a problem. I definitely watched it too young. Definitely confused by that. But the overall, the school that it takes place at reminds me a lot of my high school. Like I went to a private Catholic school. It was really mm. intense. So like the dynamic of the students with the teacher and then Robin Williams kind of being like, no one's told me before that I don't have to do what my parents say. Like, I resonate a lot with that. So I still like it. I have one more final thought. Oh, I do. The one, the one guy who really, really does rebel and does take his life into his own hands is the, the kid who plays the saxophone. What's his name? Uh, we already Can said I... Charlie Dalton. <laughs> I do like uh, some of the stuff that he does, and especially after the scene where he's pulled into the principal's office and paddled, the scene mm. of him walking back and he's just kind of limping, but they're like, man, is it over? Did you give us up? And he was basically, he said something along the lines of like, nah, never in a million year, bros. Like, yeah. fist True. pump. But that was that was hardcore. That should have been the ending, truly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was like halfway through the movie. It'd be a really short movie if that was the end. there. Yeah. <laughs> what are the recommendations for today, Aiden? Oh, okay. I get to start. You get to go first because I decided. Robin Williams is going to be the subject of my first recommendation. Oh, I'm probably going to steal both of your recommendations, and that's Good Will Hunting. Mm. Um, if you like this movie and you like all the scenes that Robin Williams is in, then you will love Good Will Hunting because he's great and very funny in that movie. I love movie. that movie. So very good. good movie. I love Robin in that so much. I feel like First their characters basis. are very similar in that. Like, you mm-hmm. don't know much about them. They're kind of like an all-knowing, like, yeah. helping you figure your life out. But that's such a good movie. Very I good. love those characters so much. Love the dialogue. Love it all. My second rec, <laughs> recommendation number two, pulling it back to tone. This movie has a really similar tone for me to all the holiday bits in the Harry Potter movies. Mm. I grew up on the Harry Potter movies. I, I know that not all of them are fantastic by any means. Some of them are really great. Others of them have some problems. But every time there's like a Christmas anything in those movies, it just warms your heart. And it's like, oh, this, there's snow and John Williams' music is just so good. I get a similar vibe from these movies. And I think that if you're into kind of the happy, warm spirited feeling that you get from this movie you should probably watch i would recommend harry potter and the sorcerer's stone that's got some good christmas stuff in it classic yeah. all right am i going you are going, going? I... okay so you still go bull hunting so thank you so much aiden you're very welcome um i kind of went on robin williams thing so i picked a very different movie but i just like picked like what's a really good robert Will- robin williams performance so I went with Christopher Nolan's Insomnia, where he plays a murderer. So wow, that's a really good, Different. it's a very dark, gritty crime thriller starring Al Pacino. Robin Williams is the villain, and it's super good, super dark. If you like that kind of stuff, go for it. I'll just throw one in since, you know, Google Hunting's over. Ethan Hawke and Robert Sean Leonard reunited in 2001 with Richard Linklater. It's like this low-budget movie called Tape, and it's filmed with like a tape recorder. And it's basically them just in a hotel room, their old high school friends, and they're trying to figure out this conflict that they had before they graduated. And then, like, towards the end, Uma Thurman comes in as a third tertiary character who is involved. She's, like, part of this secret one of them has that has to do with the other one. And it's, like, this weird, tense, psychological drama. I don't remember it well, but they're both really good in it, so... 
check it out. Also, I just love Richard Linklater, so. So my movie recommendation is With Honors. Have you guys seen that? I've heard of it. It has a similar kind of academic, it's in college, a collegiate vibe, but it has Brendan Fraser in it, Moira Kelly, Patrick Dempsey, a bunch of really great people. But basically, I think it has a similar vibe. It has the academic setting, which I like. It has a very, it's like feel good and kind of cozy, but like a little bit dark like this. Mm, Perfect. You should watch it. Perfect recommendation. I love it. (laughs) All right. Okay. I think we can wrap it up. If you want to reach us, you can send us all your thoughts about Dead Poet Society or any other film or recommend a movie to us or say whatever you want at our email address, cinemadventurepodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach us on Twitter. I'm at Aiden Walkero. And I'm at Blake W. Peterson. You can listen to Molly's podcast, Play Like a Girl, also on the Soundbite Network. Oh, wow. And uh, Molly, where can they find you if they want to find you? They don't have to find What's you. What's your address? <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Molly underscore Quinton. I think that's going to do it. Feeling great. Yeah. Feeling organic. If you want to listen to more of us, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or on our website, uwpodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. drunk food is like in other places? My name is Dee Dee Madigan, host of the weekly podcast Home Plates, where I ask that question and many more. Each week, an international student joins me here in the studio to discuss their food culture. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday right here on the Soundbite Network. For more like this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbites website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.